Choa, I have a question for you today. And my question is this. How on earth do you stay organized? Like, what, what organizational things have you employed or have you, like, tried? Because here's – I'm going to give you a little background. I don't know if you know this about administration or just any type of busy job, really. There's a bunch of crap you got to remember all at once, and you have to be kind of – you have to be able to, to organize these things. And now as a teacher, because the day for me was fairly predictable – I had I had my organization tools. I've talked about notability before and all of that for my conferences. But I, I my organization was kind of the class structure. Without that, I feel a little bit lost. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to ask you what how do you stay organized? Do you are you a calendar person? Are you a note taking person? Or are are you just chaotic like myself and you don't really have much? I'm all of the above. <laughs> I do it all, Chastine. I do it all. I, your, uh, your dad, if I don't mistake, I think he's the one you quote of saying you got to have your paperwork in order. Paperwork number one, and I Get feel like I order. feel like I feel like paperwork is a part of organization. It is, but um, but yeah, I do I do all of that. I I struggle with organization just like everybody else. I mean, if you looked around my room right now, you would know that's true. I got one pile over here, one pile over there. It's just all the different things I'm involved in. But uh, so I have moments where I get so busy that I have a hard time. You know, I got to make time to reorganize. Okay. But uh, when I first became an academic coach, which meant that I was out of the classroom and I was having to maintain the ability, if you will, to remember every person and what they wanted, what they needed, when they needed it, how they needed it. And it was every subject. And it was two schools. So I had two schools doing that for two. Cam- I mean, that was a lot. So that was probably my very first huge challenge. The only other challenge that I had as far as keeping things up plus everything else uh, was, of course, when I was uh, a GT specialist and you have to keep up with all the paperwork for all those kids and all the testing. And I was at one of the 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 most testing, you know, the, we had the highest group uh, of where, where I was at the time because it's a, a prep school. So we had a lot of GT kids. But anyway, so what do I do? Well, when, when I had the two campuses, uh, I would go uh, like Monday, I would be at one campus. The next day I'd be at another campus. And the next day I'd be at the next, you know, the back and forth. I did that and alternated Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And at that time we didn't like doing all the, um, I don't know, the calendars, the office calendars and all of that, you know, we were still, it's not that it wasn't new, but I think, I think part of that was new. I mean, it couldn't do some of the stuff it can do today. Does that make sense? And I wasn't used to the computers that much. So I actually had a notebook and, and what I did is I took that whole notebook out and I did, uh, gave me a column chart and it was a to-do list. And so I would, and plus it was my record of everything I would do. And, uh, at the time we didn't have like all that technology that went with us everywhere. Now the next year we did, but this first year, uh, I wrote everything down. I wrote what I did, what I was about to do, what I'll have to do tomorrow, and I just kept it in this log, in this notebook. I still have the notebook, and I go back and look at it for once in a while, and it's like, how did I do all that? So I don't know how I did it all either, And uh, but I wrote everything down. So like I would be writing as I'm walking down the hallway, you know, things like that. But then... Uh, as that, you know, as they gave us some technology that could go along, go with us, um, you know, then I had, a, and what I mean by that is, uh, I can't even remember what it was called, but it was the, uh, it was some kind of tablet or whatever. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a computer tablet thing. But anyway, and so um, what I did there is, Every email that I got, I would I, I created folders in my Outlook and underneath my inbox. And so I would prioritize based on who uh, is going to I'll be in trouble with first. <laughs> That's what I would do. I'm like, okay, who, 
who's going to call me in first? So if, and it obviously the principal. So anything attached to the principal went into a folder. Anything that was attached to the teachers who might complain that I didn't get their stuff done went into a folder. So everything went into a folder. And so even to this day, I have, I've never gotten rid of those folders. I just add to it. I think I got about 25 folders and it's all everything that we had to do. And, and so that's how I keep up with my emails. As a matter of fact, uh, the other day we had a meeting and this lady's like, I can't find the email that they sent me. And I was able to find it because I made a new folder. <laughs> so that email was right there. I don't always do that because I'll forget uh, to, you know, oh yeah, I have a folder system. But when I was doing that uh, department, you know, doing that um, other stuff where I was in the administration side of things, I had to keep keep everything on a calendar and on a folder. And I would tell the teachers, if you need something, you've got to send me an invite. And that's the way I kept up with it, uh, was their invites would tell me, you know, when we would meet. And then it got where I was, I learned how, and I would send them invites. Either way, vice versa, we had to have an invite no matter what. And uh, so how do I do it? I make sure that anything that goes, like as a teacher, I make sure that anything that a parent is going to see goes first, and I make sure that paperwork gets taken care of first. So I prioritize. So paperwork first, grades probably second, lesson plans third. Uh, anything that the principal uh, needs immediately, I put that up towards the top. And typically, I usually get it all in. I pay attention to my deadlines. That's the other way that I organize is I'll look and see, okay, what are the deadlines? And so then I will organize it based on deadline. What's due first, that's what I do first. That's kind of how I do it. I'm, so I don't I don't usually go early, though. Well, yes. I, you, I, I think that's a – I think that's why you and I get along because we're both very – you know, we we for our differences, we have so many things in common, both on how we think right. about things, how we process. And you know, for this is something that's that's weighing on my mind this weekend as we're going and kind of um, thinking about what I need to do because you know, I I didn't share details on social media, but I had I had a week of relative, you know, kind of setbacks, not all, but some bad things, not bad things, but like just some like things that were, that weren't the greatest. And then Friday it was like a bam, 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 like just multiple, like kind of hits to the face, so to speak of just, just kind of things that I made mistakes on and they, they were definitely my mistakes. And it was just one of those things where I kind of had to just power through them and, um, and mend them. But, you know, ultimately my goal is to not do those mistakes again. And it was funny because it was the first time in several years, uh, that I really felt kind of not lost, but just like, uh, just that feeling of, I just didn't know what I didn't know and feeling inadequate, so to speak. Cause I remember like my first, like really three years of teaching, maybe a little bit longer, but definitely my first two years, there was a lot of that. It was like, I wanted to be a great teacher. I had some natural skills, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, I just didn't have the experience to be able to anticipate issues. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like as a teacher, I would focus a lot on the wrong things. That's kind of, I feel like that's half what we talk about in this podcast is how do we focus on the right things? Um, which is, we're going to talk about that on this episode today, but the, and so as an admin, it's, it's, I I have that knowledge still. I have the, the pedagogy knowledge. I have the teaching knowledge, the classroom management knowledge, the education knowledge. But what I don't have is knowledge of like my, 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 what you just said a second ago, the, that priority of stuff to get done. That is what my, I'm having to shift them. Right. Right. Because I just have to deal with other things. Like, you know, when you're admin, you have to think about the legality of issues. You have to think about, um, the, the campus as a, as a whole, you have to think about all of these different things and my internal filter it's it's turning, but it's 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 slowly evolving into a new kind of hierarchy of things I need to focus on, and that has been a uh, that has been a challenge 
uh, for myself. And one of the things that I've, I've come to realize that I have to do is I have to develop new systems of organization because – so I walk in on any given day. We talked about this last episode mm-hmm. where I have all of my meetings set up. My secretary – sets these up for me, all of the main things that need to get done. These are 504, their arts, teacher meetings, uh, post conferences, pre-conferences, admin meetings, all that stuff. It's already on there. It's wonderful. Then there's stuff that happens throughout the day. So student discipline, someone gets caught with a vape, a kid gets in trouble. We have to respond to a call because a teacher is having trouble with a student. And so all of that gets filtered in there. And then on top of that are emails that come to my way that have various rangings of this can wait until the end of the day when I can kind of tidy up some stuff before I leave the office and or things that need like relative immediate action. So it all has to get wet into these processes, and I thought I was mentally capable of really organizing things kind of mentally and then making making notes, but even if I had like a page of kind of to-dos, I was still missing key things, which is why Friday was a problem for me because I had missed really two essential things that kind of – they didn't balloon into something impossible. We, we fixed everything. We recovered from it, but it was – it, it was a problem that didn't need to happen, and it was it was preventable, right? But it was it was caused because I just didn't have that organization. Not because I I ignored something. It was because it got lost in the weeds of other things. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I've been on project. Okay, how do I organize stuff? And I go back to you know when I was tr- struggling to figure out organization for conferences. I started with. A journal because that's what kind of like Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher do. It's almost like a running note list, but I was like, I can't reference stuff that way. So I did a binder with all these dividers of students. And I was like, well, that's obnoxious. I don't want to walk around with a binder. And then eventually I found Notability, went and bought a $1,000 iPad, and then, you know, <laughs> and had that solution. And now this new problem I have of needing to track a lot of notes that I do sporadically. Right, because uh, an issue I'm dealing with at 10 might have to be on hold until 2 o'clock, but I still need to be able to reference those notes at least post-event, right? So Mm -hmm. my solution – and teachers might – our audience probably already knows about this, and if they do, please email us or message us, especially if you're a patron, but not only if you're a patron. Message us. And tell me how you use these because I just bought one, but I bought a rocket book. Have you ever seen these, Miss Ochoa? Yes, they're the kind that um, the notes, you can reuse the notes and uh, reuse the pages. Yes, and you scan them. And then then they go into your computer. Yes, and so I had Mm -hmm. heard about them before. It's not foreign to me, but I was like, well, I have an iPad. I really don't need this. But then someone at a principal training I was at mentioned it, and I was like, well, maybe, you know, but I still ignored it, obviously. And then this all happens this last week, and I'm like, okay, I need to look at something. So it was basically I was trying to find – I was like, I have Notability. I was like, Notability works really great for conferences because I don't need those documents really anywhere else. And I can back up Notability, but I don't like how it – the one weakness of that, it doesn't – back up the way I want it to in Google Drive. You know what I mean? So it has yeah. it, it's it's messy from that. It's great in the app and using that, but app the the workability of that disappears after you're trying to move it anywhere else. And as an admin, some I sometimes I need documents I need to send. I need to reference stuff. So I need I need something a little bit more intuitive. And I was like the iPad I I can do the iPad. But let's see. Let's just see it out there. So I looked up Rocket Books, and here's the thing, Ochoa. I think this is my solution. I'm probably going to have a couple follow-ups about this because we have – what you can do is there's a bunch of different versions, but essentially like the core version is just kind of you can get line pages or dot pages, but you can write all of your notes, and then at the bottom there's like seven icons, and when you mm-hmm. X one – it tells based on the app that you use, you can basically I can make it go to my Google Drive in a specific folder, but I can also tag it. So if I have like a parent that I'm working with, for instance, and I talk with them Monday and then I like at eight and I talk with them at noon and then maybe I talk with them at four. If I without that, those notes could be all over the place. They could be on stickies. They could be on whatever. But with this, I can 
tag all of that. And so at the end of the day, I can scan it all in and it all goes in so I can document every piece of communication that I had, everything that I needed to know and kind of track that. So I can also do that with admin meetings. I can do it with all this stuff. So I can tag everything and I can send it to text messages. I can send it to email. I can send it to Google Drive. And so I have all of these ways of interacting with these notes to store them either just for referencing later and or uh, to kind of keep track of stuff. Now, the magic of this and the reason why it's a little step up from Notability is there's a part of the technology is that it can read your writing. And so it can give me a transcription. So I can go in with all of these notes in Google Drive and I can search and it'll pop up either based on the tag and or what I wrote because it'll read my writing. So oh. I can now have keyword search if there's something. I, and I was like, I know I wrote that down. What was that? Boom. I can reference it. So that's part of my solution. We'll see what happens. I don't know. It's not that expensive. I mean, there I I spend a little bit more money so I can get kind of the bells and whistles. But I mean, like the basic version is like 20 bucks. I think I spent like maybe 60 with like pens and some extra stuff. But... Um, I'm, I'm hyped. I, I think it might be my solution, but it, the reason I'm sharing this is because it might be a solution for some teachers if they're, if they've never heard of it oh, or whatever. I might, I might use it cause I was trying to get notability. Okay. So I, I needed <laughs> yeah. them. All right. So I was trying to get it for my mini iPad that I have through the school, right? Yeah. But so I call and ask them to update it so that I can pull down notability because it needs a more updated mm-hmm. program system. So they show up to my classroom, technology did, and said, well, thank you for letting us know which iPad you had. We're taking all those up. So I lost my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so I might need to just, and not only that, they won't even give me a compute, uh, a uh, document camera. None of us seventh graders have a document, seventh grade teachers have a document camera. Well, don't, and they won't, they won't get us one. I have a little one that doesn't, it works, but I want it to have a longer cord and all that stuff. And this one doesn't, and it won't go to my computer. There's, it's just one of those little cheap ones that I bought for an emergency, you know, to just use at home, Mm -hmm. you know, if I needed it here for my Abido stuff, I needed to get it for that. So yeah, I used it last year, but I decided not to use it because none of the, uh, the two other teachers had, they have a, uh, document camera. We all need one. Everybody in the other two departments, everybody has one. We're the only uh, group that doesn't have one and they won't get us one. They've tried to get That's us weird. one, but now they put a stall on anything from China or anything like that. So and we're at the mercy of whatever. I don't really know. They keep giving us excuses as the way why they can't get us one. It's the craziest thing. I mean, there are some ways that Years ago, I could do a lot more than I can now. It's it's hilarious, but yeah, I mean, for I mean, I just can't believe that <laughs> I was trying to get myself help, and <laughs> so I may I may look into your rocket, Vic. I'm kind of well, glad you mentioned it because so I've got the same issue. So here's the thing: so if you were, so if I was teaching, right, and let's say I didn't have the iPad or Notability, and and mm-hmm. honestly, the uh, the rocket book. I mean, I'm if I might have tried, it might have been a nice rival. So you can do. They make different versions. Like you can make subjects and stuff. But essentially, so if you had like the basic one, I think it comes with like twenty five, thirty, or forty pages. I don't know. Not not that many, but you don't really need that yeah, much. So I've let's see. No, I just have never used them. But let's say you're doing your your conferences. You can do a smart tag for each kid if you wanted to. So all of your notes are there for them. You could do a smart tag for classes if you wanted to. You could do you could, all these ways you could organize it. So you could spend all day writing all of your notes that you wanted to do or even creating mini lessons if you wanted to and just make whatever the symbol is at the bottom or whatever tag. Just make it upload wherever. So if I was a teacher and I wanted to do like if I had to create um, – like uh, maybe a, an absent lesson or maybe I had to translate my lesson to Canvas or something like that. I would do a craft and draft page with kind of the notes or whatever, take a picture, upload that, and then just post that to my Canvas page, right? Or you can do um, like you like for conferences, reading conferences, you could have each one kind of 
already have your own tags for your reading conferences and stuff. And then by the end of the day, just take a picture, then wipe it all down. It all goes and you can reference it on your phone. You can reference it on your computer if you want. So if you have a parent conference with a concern or a 504 or something like that, all you do is have to have the tag with your student name. You pull it up. Boom. You have every note you've ever taken about that student right there available on, on all of your stuff. And you can email it to yourself if you would want, if you're one of those people. So if you wanted to write down a, like a, a note to like a about a conference or a parent or something like that, like to me, like for high school students, I, I'd be curious about middle school. And I know a lot of our audience is elementary, but like for high school students, a lot of them, like they, they use email really well, right? Because they're older, they're, it's kind of the world mm-hmm. they live in. Like if I was a high school teacher, I would totally use that and jot that down and then send notes to students through email that way. And just like have it sent that way because I can set that destination to it. And it would just go there and I would send it. And then the kids would have whatever note from the conference, a reminder for homework and stuff like that. Like it would, there's so many ways you can well, use it. That would be good if you had students that need handwritten notes. Yes. You know, because they can't take notes due to their disability or something. Even perfect, right? Because that's always been right that's always been a challenge, definitely, for and like it, that and accommodation. It t- I'm sorry to interrupt, but it types. Like your your handwriting, right? Yeah. Like you're just writing it, and it reads it, and then turns mm-hmm. it into a text. Yep. It it they uh, typewriter text. Yeah, they struggle with cursive, so you have to write print. But if you have like really okay. legible print, you can write that, and then you can send it. So you could either just have the handwritten notes to give to your students with those accommodations, or you could do it. Have the computer; it'll transcribe it, and then send that to the student. So. Um, I don't know. Like, I, like we just developed Perfect. another way to do this. I think they have teacher versions, and there's what I've seen recently is there's a lot of there's a lot of teachers who are like buying these like for their journal, like for their kids' journals. So imagine, oh, wow. a, imagine a craft and draft book. That's mm-hmm. but imagine one rocket book that's craft and draft, but. You don't have to divide it everywhere because kids could scan it, upload it to their Google Drive, and they could just erase it. So now you don't have the problem of a craft book filling up all the way, and you could just have smart tags for kids. Wow. I mean, talk about a grant. I mean, when you have a grant coming up, you have to – I know that they do that. You should – it might be cool to, to – It might be cool to look into. Maybe maybe, yeah. maybe you and – you could partner with somebody and y'all could do like a dual grant or something because they're not that Well, expensive. maybe we could – yeah, maybe I could partner with our partner and then we could do one for the whole – because they, they'll let you do one for the – Yeah. Yeah, not so, just for the teacher. You could do it for the teacher or for the – yeah. The only, cool. the only downside to that idea is uh, – you uh you have to use like the right pens. So that that's the only downside. Yeah. Now they, they make a lot of them. They're not like thirty dollar pens or whatever. They're they're like the casual pens that you can use, but you just have to use the right brand so it can uh erase off and stuff. But I don't know. Could be cool, but ladies and gentlemen, we're twenty three minutes in, so let's intro <laughs> the show. Let's talk about Oh, my Lord. I'm sorry. I, I just really wanted to talk about that. Can you tell I wanted to talk about that? So, I can tell you're a hopper about it. I know. Everyone, welcome to Craft and Draft. That's Pay Show. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are two workshop teachers down here in the state of Texas. She's doing it in the classroom. I'm helping it from an administrative perspective. But regardless, we love workshop. We love literacy and everything in between. Today, we are talking about how to diagnose workshop problems. When you're when you're feeling like your workshop's not going well, when you feel like it's stagnant, kids aren't writing enough, they're not reading enough, things are getting in the way. Harking back to last episode, maybe you have so many things that the district's telling you to do, or curriculum's telling you, and you're struggling to get your workshop flowing like a workshop at all. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So I feel like it's a part two in a way, so it'll connect that way. So we're going to talk all about that, but I want to let you know that we release a podcast every single Friday, so if you're new here, Welcome. Every Friday, you get to wake up to a new Craft and Draft episode, surely filled with comments, questions, concerns, and musings by us and our listeners. But this podcast really does exist because people support us over there on Patreon. It keeps us uh, from having to, to fill the show with a bunch of needless ads, and we just get to have...
have awesome people support us. They also get perks for supporting us just like you can. They get bonus episodes, bonus videos, access to certain trainings, and everything else in between. And the people that support us are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, and Andrea. So thank you guys for supporting us as always. But let's get to the conversation. Alrighty, Miss Ochoa, I know we're about 30 minutes in, but <laughs> I want to tell you that our friend, one of our one of our most passionate listeners, our, our good friend at this point, we feel like we know her so well, Courtney. Courtney. She, she sent us a little <laughs> message that I, I kind of want to read because I think it, it's a it's a, it's a it's a nice little note about last week's episode. People didn't go listen to that. Y'all need to go check it out. It was it was an absolute banger of an episode. We talked about lesson planning woes and the struggles <laughs> of getting everything done. But Courtney says, "Pam!" exclamation point exclamation point. You were speaking my language on the last episode. I am drowning in all that I have to do. It is literally impossible to do everything required by our district plus the mandates from the state. At some point, enough is enough, especially when I can't plan my lessons because of all the paperwork and meetings. Lord help me. I feel you, Courtney. Says, please let me know if you find a solution. I say it's time for a revolution. And then she goes, and Jacob, it's time to start your school. All the best educators are leaving the profession, so the harvest is great. Now, look, I I, I got to learn how to run a school before I do, but I'm telling you, mark my words. There's going to be a school that's opened by me and maybe a partner, maybe other people. Who knows? I don't know what the end goal. I'm going to be involved somehow. And it's going to be a literacy revolution. I really want to use Ron Clark, Nancy Atwell kind of as models because they've both done it. And I love both of their techniques. If I can combine the two into a magical school here in Texas, by golly, I'm going to do it. Um, like you had something to say. <laughs> my son, My son is calling me. <laughs> We'll answer real quick. Go ahead. Are you okay with that? Sure. You want to broadcast it? No. <laughs> better not. Okay, so I talked to my son and he said I asked him the question, what how do you get organized? <laughs> he told me he prioritizes based on urgency. So urgent comes first. I have no idea what we were talking about a second ago. Well, we had to pause. You, you took a call. I, know. I did take a call from my son uh, anyway. And so, but we were talking about Courtney. She says she's, I speak her language. Oh, yes, yes. We are, and all the state mandates and everything else we have to do. Yes. And that's, I mean, it's the, it is what it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and here's the thing this could cause a bogging down of a workshop. It can it can it can cause a workshop to to flounder. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, when you feel like a, like your workshop isn't going as well, or it, it feels stagnant, or it, I don't know, it just it's just not flowing the way you know your workshop should flow. What do, what, do you have diagnostic steps? Do you have things that you look at to see? why this might be the case or I don't know. How do you even go about doing that? Cause I know it happens and I know it happens, you know, it happens off and on. There's good seasons. There's bad seasons. There's good days. There's bad days. There's good weeks. So what, what's your, what's your kind of steps? Because I feel like this is, this is that time of year where we've, we've kind of started the year. Honeymoon phase is officially over 1000%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes that leads to really great things. And sometimes this is the time where kids are like, yeah, I'm over this the school years. Just, like, you know, they're just, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're done kind of being trying to, they're done trying to reinvent themselves and they're falling into old habits could cause a lot of zeros could cause some frustration mm-hmm. for teachers. So what are the steps for diagnosing, for di- diagnosing, diagnosing a workshop for you? What, what kind of things do you think about? Well, I think about uh, am I? I think about my student student centeredness, and that is, you know, am I being student centered? But sometimes, like right now, I have three main groups of kids, right? Because we have them. Um, I have um, an on level class, an uh, inclusion class, uh, where I have to have like a, a coach, co- uh, not a coach, but a co teacher coming in. Uh, at least three days a week. And then I have 
uh, an honors class. And there's not one workshop happening the exact same way. So I have one that's bogged down due to students um, being in trouble, not can, not always in my class, but like they'll be gone for about four days and then they come back in thinking they can just, you know, we've all bonded and then they've come in and they're like, hey, everybody, I'm back and here I am to make the teacher, you know, have a little trouble. Well, what I've noticed is that I think I'm starting to make a um, move in that particular course, that class. It's a large class. It's got right at 30 kids in it. I mean, I've had larger classes, but larger classes work better when all the kids work well. You know what I mean? And so um, I'll say things like, okay, it's reading time. And then they, they, you know, depending on their moods, they'll start talking and then they won't read. And so then I have to figure out ways to get them to read or writing time and then they'll start talking to the point that they're not writing. It's one thing to, you know, we're working, but then I have a lot of kids who are working a lot. So really, I, so then I have to assess it. Is it something I'm doing? You know, am I, you know, or what can I do to put it back on the kids? And so at first... What I noticed are some things that I've done different is at first I was, you know, trying to follow those procedures and, and all of that. And then, but the kids just, it was taking too long to get quiet. And then somebody would come in and try to help me, but then it would like, I guess I think they were helping, but then it would make it worse, you know? And so uh, I do have a class that's really difficult to deal with. But what's interesting is I started, and I think this is where this rocket, your rocket book might help, but I've actually been taking my notebook and I just... I wish it was mine. I'd be very rich. Yes, I wish it was yours too, but it's not. <laughs> but I take my notebook, right? And I just start taking notes. And they're like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm just making, I, you know, I got to make sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I'm just monitoring and taking notes so that I can make adjustments as needed. And then, you know, talk to principals as needed and all of that. Well, I've been taking just copious notes and the kids are like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm writing down who's working. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so I've kind of done that. And and some of the kids are like, that's so funny. Well, Miss Ochoa, I'm working. I'm working. Well, I'm like, well, okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm walking around. I sit down and talk with a few of them. But that workshop is, I don't know if you want to call it a complete workshop. It's more of a, it, it's dysfunctional at best. My next class, we we did the sharing, the pointing activity. That they have a ton of writing, and I took some pictures um, of some of the of the work that I saw volumes of work. And this is in my inclusion class where I have students that actually have disabilities and things like that, and they are doing their best. And we actually shared our stories and everybody passed notes. And then we did constructive feedback and we talked about it and learned all about it. We learned that constructive feedback is structure, you know, building something. So in the kids, we use the C-O-N means with, with building, with, we're building up, we're not tearing down here. And so they were all nothing negative allowed and they were all working. And it was even, even our academic coach came in and took pictures. She was impressed by that. And that was a true, to me, that's when workshop is working. When I can just put something on the board, give them directions, they go to it. They're all doing the work and I'm walking around and it was golden. Didn't do that the first time. It was me walking around taking notes because I'm just trying to get them to start reading, you know, that kind of thing. The last class was like the first one. It's an honors class. So we we work at a different level, but it's still, but they're all working, you know. Um, but so how do I, what do I do? I think I just, I think back, is it students, how much talking am I actually doing? And if I'm doing most of the talking, then chances are it's not really it's, it's more of a stagnant, if you will, workshop. It's not really, it's kind of hit a hit something. So then I'm thinking, well, what do I need to do to change that? A lot of times writing will change it. 
because you'll do some kind of writing thing, maybe a little group activity or something like that that gets them spurred up a bit, maybe add a little more choice, do a little bit of something else. Um, right now, my students have, are working on stories, and so they're. Uh, I'm trying to get them to understand that standard where setting can influence the character or the plot, and the character can influence events. And so they're actually, I put them in a position where they're actually be, being authors, right? And they're creating their own story. And so I'm, I'm asking them, like when they walk in, that pre-writing that they have to do, when they walk in, my writing time at the beginning is, uh, I'll prompt them with something like this, um, uh, describe your setting from your story. And then in in there, explain or maybe add to it uh why the character why it's important to the character you know i don't know exactly how it's happening but then then that causes the kids it kind of puts them in a situation where they have to figure it out and then we're using model text to show them so and then they go back to reading or go back to writing so it's just different things like that but i'm trying to make them authors but they are doing a lot of work but my first my first uh, block is I, I wouldn't call it a complete workshop. I'm trying my best to make it that way. So I don't, I'm not answering your question. I'm no, going on well, and on about my problems. No. Well, here's the thing. I, this is so, this is, this is good, you know, because I feel like this is kind of how craft and draft started with me. You would come together and go, yes. <laughs> what problem are you dealing with? And whoever <laughs> had the bigger one, but Honestly, we're dealing with the same thing, just in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and my and the teachers that I work with, you know, and some of them are very workshop driven. There's there's two teachers that I work with who are from middle school who are very workshop focused, almost uh, entirely kind of Lucy Calkins workshop. Um, and they've had they're they're at that feeling too. So one, don't feel alone. But two, I just have a question, and this is more of a philosophical question, I suppose, but. I mean, is there what are the prerequisites for a workshop that that works really well? Because there's because I've had classes that because of the makeup of the students, workshop has to be more rigid. And so it takes on a different Mm -hmm. form than what it would. It's the elements are still there, but it's not a pure workshop. And I feel like that's what you're talking about with that one class is Mm -hmm. because of the, the group of kids, whether that's academic gaps, behavior, or a combination of the two, it, it kind of, it sets up so many challenges that you almost can't just say, Hey, we're going to write for 20 minutes. We're going to write for 30 minutes. We're going to read for 30 minutes. And you're going to use this as a guide because to use something as a guide, there has to be some, they have to be used to that. And if it's so foreign, that becomes very difficult. Now you can develop that capacity and I have no doubt, but come, you know, February and March, mm-hmm. you know, you're these kids that you're talking about that workshop. And that'll be interesting to talk about later of the, the growth that's happened. But what are the prerequisites for, for a quality workshop? Maybe that can help us answer the question of how to diagnose workshop issues. What do you think they are? Well, I think that, um, they have to have time for the student to work. Uh, that has to be built in. I think that, um, you know, you, you need to have some guidance. I don't, I'm not like you. I don't do a mini lesson every day unless you call me like, when I was, you know, I don't know if it's really a mini lesson. I guess I just don't always have a formal mini lesson. I may bring them together and give them a little info and then I might put them back out to work. Um I think student choice is very important. I think without student choice, you really don't have a workshop. Uh, That what you have is you have guided practice with independent practice with the old uh, Madeline Hunter way of doing things, which was um, where you just have, you know, in your lesson plan, you have an anticipatory set of focus activity or warm up. And then you have a lesson, and then you have guided part of that lesson, and then you have the independent practice, and then you have homework. And um, 
But that independent practice is really a lot of times still teacher-directed practice, uh, completely teacher-directed. So I think in a in a workshop model, I think it's important that the students have access to the things that they want to work on. And you have to figure out a way to build that in there. And you can do that by choice. I do a lot of it by writing. I do a lot of it. I make sure they go to the library. I have a library and I build in, even in this rough situation that I've got, I build in writing time and reading time every day. Uh, just it take, it takes me a lot longer because they would rather chat it up for the first five minutes before they realize I'm taking notes on their chatting it up. And when they realize I'm taking notes on the chat, they don't know what's happening. But I know a few of the students have, they're pretty uh, hard to deal with in the sense that, you know, I don't want to talk about any of the, the students and they're, they're struggling. They're, they're just struggling. I have, I have some really struggling students and they're struggling with their social situation in the sense that they stay in trouble, not inside my class all the time, but other places. So they're constantly being removed from the, the group. Does that make sense? And so trying to help them come back in when they've missed all that building time is what's making it really hard for me with them. But the students, like the other day while I was writing, I said, I'm writing down everybody who's working really hard because I think I'm going to give y'all some extra points for all the hard work. Boy, that got them quiet. So I make sure that they know that I'm writing down good things and bad things. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm just, I'm just reporting to myself what's going on. But I noticed that me writing it down what they're doing and just taking those notes all the time. I mean, they're used to me doing it now, but they're like, y'all, y'all, she's writing, she's writing. Y'all got to start working. She's (laughs) writing. I don't haven't done anything with that other than just, you know, how am I going to get this kid? This is what this kid's doing. What do I need to do to help them? You know, that kind of thing. And so, but it's kind of fascinating. You know, what's funny about that is Mm -hmm. there's a video. And if anyone hasn't seen these, they should, where when we use them, we use them in two different ways. We use them as literacy. When when I was a literacy coach and you're an academic coach still, we we pulled videos from uh, 180 Days with Nancy Out or <laughs> Nancy Atwood, with Penny Kittle and Kelly Penny Gallagher because mm-hmm. they have little videos that they have that you can get access to if you buy the book on Heinemann. It's definitely worth it. It's very cool. But when when I went back to the campus you're at now, before you came there, I use those again to kind of help guide people on what workshop was, what workshop conversations were and stuff. But they, in that video, they talk about how that they would write about their kids often. And they would say, they would say they would sit there and, you know, if the like kids are writing or reading or if they're working on something, they would sit there and just kind of observe. And I thought, you know, it's, it's funny after doing a couple like actual, like official classroom observations and scripting is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Is just jotting down what you see, right? We talk about right student watching all the time, right? Kid watching. You can, if you're one of the things I told English teachers that I work with uh, specifically is I said, Hey, I know there's admin out there that say, let me come after reading time or you feel pressure to cancel reading time. If an admin person walks in, I was like 1000% let your kids read. If I'm walking in, like don't feel pressure to change that because I know a lot about reading in your classroom by watching kids read. That's, that's right. And, uh, and anyone that's worth their salt mm-hmm. and literacy knows that, right? We, we mm-hmm. know this and, and uh, literacy teachers know this. A lot of people that have never done that world don't. And so I wanted to verify that, but it, what you just said, like, even though you're, it's a, it's a behavior management tool in some aspect, <laughs> it is. I, I, there's still, I think, honestly, like, even if you're, if, if where you're at in your workshop is diagnosing why behaviors are happening. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that that's still part of your data, right? Like mm-hmm. this is like if I was a teacher struggling with that, whether I was a, a a veteran teacher like yourself or a new teacher that's only been teaching for a year or two, uh, that information would be stuff that I would bring to like my conference with my principal is – They'd be like, hey, what are you working on, whatever? And I'm like, well, here's like, you know, I wrote down like this, these are some spots of my notes that I've taken about my class. And this is what I'm noticing. When you come in to observe or 
if you're inviting a coach in to help you, I think that would be such a cool conversational starter uh, of, of bringing these and saying, hey, this is what I'm noticing. Come in, see if you notice the same things or if you notice different things. And then let's figure out, you know, is it is it, you know, because they're kids. You get the kids you got. Right. Like they, they mm-hmm. that's who they're. We can't change that, but we can change how we respond to problems. We can change mm-hmm. systems to help support the kids that we have and various other things. And so. That conversation, I think, is really valuable of just having multiple people or maybe just one other person in your space just be like, hey, this is what I'm noticing. Come in, see if you notice the same thing. See, like maybe like one of the I remember uh, one of the things that I had to work on was I would ask questions, but then I would I would answer most of them myself. Right. And so I had to develop. That's why I really loved Kagan at first was because it gave me a structure that it almost was like a buffer. I would ask the question, turn and talk, 30 seconds, each person, A, B, C, D, boom, they do it. And then that would, it would, so it'd give me that built in wait time rather than just saying, oh, you Mm -hmm. should have wait time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's really valuable in a workshop space because, especially for people that know workshop, because it's a unique, Despite the fact, and we've said this a thousand times on the podcast, despite the fact it's been around since the 80s, right? Workshop right. is still esoteric in the educational space. Not everything is very edu- is workshop-focused. And even places that talk about workshop, that doesn't mean workshop's happening in the majority of classes. And you and I know this all too well, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that, if you can have someone in your space that knows workshop and really knows what they're looking at, being able to have that common language, that common camaraderie that, you know, like when I had Linda Reef on the podcast, it was so, uh, uplifting for me because we use the same language, you know, we had the same touchstones and like, she's someone, you know, obviously, cause she's, I mean, she's amazing, but if you had her in your space, she could probably diagnose problems that other people could not. Simply because she is a phenomenon of workshop, right? Same Mm -hmm. thing for all of these other people. And so, you know, I think that that's one thing that uh, I wish that we could have done on our team before I left. Unfortunately, it never really happened because of a variety of things. Obviously, I left. So that was also a a hang up on that process. But but I don't think I haven't forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) But but having that 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 process of just maybe your partner, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Of people coming in and really seeing and having that those conversations that aren't built on judgment, that aren't built on anything, just simply built on what did you observe and what do we do about it, whether good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. Do we capitalize on something? Do we change something? I think – I don't know. I just think that is so infinitely valuable. And being back into a space where you know I'm in and out of classrooms a lot, it's so interesting, You know, especially now that I'm, I'm more experienced, but – it happened when I was a literacy coach too, was seeing so many different styles, seeing different students, seeing different management, seeing how different assignments connect to kids differently. It is so interesting to me, you know, it, it, it like I'm, I'm infinitely obsessed with the teaching process and it's so, and it's something that I wish, I feel like every teacher should have like a year sabbatical almost to just visit classrooms and like almost like paid leave to just visit, like just be on the outside for a year or a half a year or something because it's so, yeah. it's so, I mean, when you became an academic coach, I mean, did you feel like you just grew so much as an educator because of all the things you were seeing? Yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting. Uh, a lot of things that I did see that were great, but then there were a lot of things I saw too that you're like, yeah, oh, there's a whole lot I miss while I'm sitting in my room. There is. Uh, there really is. You just don't realize how much is going on outside of your of your actual classroom. So I think that that was one of the, the takes that I saw. But one of the things when we had to be, um, when we were trained to do Abydos, Years ago, uh, they have site school site districts, and so we went over to a district, and we actually one of our requirements was to observe K, uh, writing and reading workshop K through twelve, and it was that was probably the most enlightening thing. So, if if you were to take, I would encourage anybody to do this if you could 
go to your elementaries and see what they're doing and go all the way up through 12. I mean, just being able to see K through 12 and see all the different levels. And we we did this. If you remember, we went, there's a teacher that, um, it was a fifth grade teacher that fed into the school that we worked with. Yep. And, you know, we both went down there at different times. Uh-huh. But what she was doing with those students it was incredible. Was incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were fifth graders. And it was almost like they went backwards because we had some teachers that weren't quite doing workshop. And so these kids were used to workshop. And then they were forced into a situation where they weren't really doing workshop. And so it was more of a, a lot of times students will rebel in that situation, you know, that kind of thing. So it's kind of interesting. It's really interesting uh, to see. I, I saw a workshop in kindergarten, and it was fascinating. And the kids were were writing, and, you know, they might not could be writing, writing, but they were drawing, and, and, and the teacher was dictating with, you know, their pictures. And it was just, it was just neat to see these kids and what they're doing K through 12. So... Yeah, I think I think when you can go into another person's classroom, you really do learn a lot. I had I had myself on mute. I'm looking uh, on my side. I'm looking up. So Don Graves, for anyone who's interested, uh, teachers and students work. He has a book that. Teachers and students at work. I'm live Googling this because I want to make sure I have the right title. Where is it? Why is it not popping up? Maybe it's because I need to spell Donald. So Donald Graves, yes. He has a book called Writing Teachers and Children at Work. There's a 20th anniversary edition. It's like $43. You can click on that and find like cheaper version. You can get the book for like 6 bucks. He has that research that they originally did with him and Lucy Calkins and all them mm-hmm. of... I listened to the audiobook because it was really fascinating because there's uh well actually the audiobook version that I listened to was a different one, but Penny Kittle's on it and a bunch of other people that has similar research. But that one, we've I there's older episodes of Craft and Draft where we talked about this, but you'd mentioned, you know, kindergarten kids doing workshop and you know, they can't write yet, but they're doing other things, they're doodling. And what they discovered in this research is that is like the early forms of written communication of doodling and drawing pictures and all of this other stuff. And you think back, you know, uh, I've, I've made this connection to several times, but, and I I really, I think this is probably going to make its way into the craft and draft book at some point. Um, I just have to do some Mm -hmm. heavy research on it, but the fact that like we, when you think of early human writing, it wasn't words, it was pictures, right? And right. the earliest cave paintings were, were pictures of certain things. And so it makes sense that evolutionary speaking with our brains and how we develop that we would develop that lens first. Kids draw and doodle things before they write letters. We, we underestimate how complex letters are and sentences are and you know mm-hmm. I don't I don't think early literacy teachers get enough credit and I only realized that after reading the research and seeing these classrooms but it's something that's phenomenal and I'm that's why I love that we have a, such a big elementary audience because I think they do phenomenal work but on the note of that teacher that we observed I care I bet she would come on we should get her on the show I bet she would come on cuz I'm still I still I talk to her all the time she'll call me and we'll oh, just, really? Yeah, we'll chat for a little bit. She's she's amazing. I bet she would absolutely love to come on and talk workshop and everything she does. She probably has some helpful tips for people, too. I'm going to reach out to her. I, I, I bet I bet we could make that happen soon. Okay. So I, I think that'd be cool. So that's just a note for us. But in any case, so I guess to kind of close out, we're about an hour. I know we paused for a little bit because you went and you took a phone call, but... I did. It's okay. It was very. I, you should always accept your son's phone calls. I'm glad that y'all have right. a positive relationship. But uh, our, the, I think the when it comes to diagnosing diagnosing workshop woes or even classroom problems, if you're not a workshop teacher specifically, I think that's where the fun is. I think top down administrators kind of ruin this in a way. And I've been, I've seen them, you know, because it becomes punishment, right? It becomes you're not performing, you're not doing this. But when you're with 
people who really value growth and value the complexities of teaching. Uh, I think the, that partnership of just going, what the heck is going on? Cause we, we teach, we take teaching so personally, right? We, we take mm-hmm. our lesson plans personally. We take when kids fail personally, we take when things are going great personally. Teaching is one of the most per- personal professions on the face of the earth. And that means that it's very sensitive to some aspects, but if you can create that culture and this is something I aspire to do too, and I'm learning how to do it and struggling and doing well in certain areas, but just trying to develop that culture of we're discussing this because we want to be better for kids. We want to be better for families. We want the reason we want workshop to work isn't because we're just obsess a workshop. It's because we believe it gives us the ultimate range of ability to help students and, and, right. and, and kids achieve what they want. That is why we're, we're so obsessed with this process and, and why we dive into the research it doesn't mean it's the only process. It's just, that's the, the thing that clicks for us. And so that, I think that is so important to try to develop whether if, you know, some people have really toxic administrators where that's not possible. So do it with your team. And, you know, if you don't have a team and your administrators can't do it either, then I think that's where our podcast comes in is having people be able to diagnose things and and talk through some stuff and hear like minded people to connect. So it really comes down to finding your tribe. Hopefully it's at your campus. Um but it, it, I don't know. I think it's really important. I think this is this is the fun aspect of teaching is diagnosing problems. I think that's also maybe this could be next week's topic. I doubt it because every time we say something on the podcast, it could be next week's topic. We never do it. But the idea <laughs> of data being a part of that, right? Your data oh, is. I just got. Go ahead. Just got finished talking data with my babies, with my students. Anyway, go ahead. Well, and so that, I mean, data plays into the whole concept mm-hmm. of diagnosing problems. And mm-hmm. data data done right is empowering. Data done wrong makes you feel like you're a failure, right? And, right. I, and the benefit of data is knowing where you need to go next. That is what the conversation on data should always be. But most of the time, I would say most, that seems a little extreme, but a lot of the time, Conversation around data, it, it it's it's de it's demoralizing around the profession. So I don't know. Maybe that could be maybe that could be next week's topic. I don't know. Yeah. Any closing thoughts about diagnosing issues, Miss Ochoa? Where where are you at right now as we close tonight? Where I'm at is um trying to diagnose my own issues. Um <laughs> I got plenty. You and me both. <laughs> no, I just this one class has me a little stumped. Uh but you know, we had a huge breakthrough. It was funny because I told one of my kids, I called him by his name, and then I said, I think we observed a miracle today. This was Friday. And he goes, I know, Miss Ochoa, it was more than like like we got our work done. <laughs> and it was like, I know, like like for like almost, you know. 30, 40 minutes, they actually worked and I didn't have any issues. And so I told them I was writing down all the good things I'm seeing. That's what I'm writing down now, you know, that kind of thing. But even, even that boy, I said, I said, I think we observed a miracle today because he's one of my best kids. And he goes, I know. (laughs) So it was just kind of neat. So I think no matter how difficult it is, last words is just don't give up. Keep trying to solve the problem. And uh, right now, I'm just writing everything down and then I'm I'm re- reflecting on it over the weekend and seeing if I can just start every day's a new day. Um and you know, I know that the I know all the teachers need encouragement right now. I I have hall duty where I have to walk down the hallway and make sure kids aren't there. I actually this has turned into a therapy uh duty. I don't think the principal's meant it for that, but I have I have actually people in there have called me to their rooms and have needed me to encourage them. I mean, they're like in tears and stuff like that. So, so this is really the moment where either people give up or they push through. And I just want to say push through. Every day is a new day. We're placed here for these kids and these kids need us. Even if it's that one kid, they need us and we got to, we got to do our best every day. 
I am going to cut that out and put that on Instagram because what a beautiful statement, Mr. Cho. You were in the zone on that. We're going to... No, that was wonderful. Could have said it better myself. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Craft the Draft podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did. This is what we do. We, we meander through real topics because we are real educators in real public schools doing the real work of educating people. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything else in between. If you want to stay in contact and keep up with the show and follow our 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 uh, our drive to creating better workshops and learning if rocket books are the solution to our organizational woes. Subscribe so you don't miss anything. Leave a review to let other educators know that this podcast is worthy of a listen. And if you really want to support us and be a part of especially special episodes that no one else hears, trainings, videos, and all of that in between, go support us over there on Patreon. You can find that link at craftthejeffworkshop.com just like our supporters do. But ladies and gentlemen, come back next week for another episode next Friday and know that we are here for you. <laughs>